Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. More successful employees create financial value for their employers and career opportunities for themselves. Our focus in today's episode is how ownership works supports increasing prosperity through shared ownership. And that's the mission of this nonprofit organization. Executive Director Annalisa Miller joins us and Gloria Mirioni, Executive Director and Head of Sustainable Finance and Impact Investing at Acre Americas. Annalisa will share with us how her firm supports the creation of a culture of ownership that aligns an entire workforce around common purpose, values, and goals to maximize shared wealth creation. But first, I want to say a few words about our sponsor. If you're tuning in to this podcast, you already understand the crucial role finance plays in the transition to a sustainable future. With the right individuals leading the way in top companies, sustainability becomes more than just a buzzword. That's why we're excited to have Acre as our sponsor. As a world-leading sustainability search and recruitment company, Acre enables organizations to create real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in their teams. Visit the Acre website to learn more about their latest opportunities or to get in touch about building your perfect team. Hello, Annalisa and Gloria, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's our pleasure to have you join us today for this program. We're very excited about the topic and we're going to jump right into the questions. So I'm going to ask both of you to give your perspective on which private equity firms have joined Ownership Works and in what capacity are they members? Sure. Gloria, do you want me to kick it off? Oh, this is your question. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Go for it. Um, so, Paul, as you mentioned, Ownership Works is a nonprofit organization. We work with almost 80 organizations across the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. These include financial institutions, pension funds, labor advocates, foundations, professional services firms, and as you mentioned, private equity firms. So, at present, we work with 25 investors that have made commitments to implement broad-based employee ownership programs within their portfolios. And as a nonprofit, our goal through these programs is to help workers access much needed economic and financial opportunities. Um, as you, you know, private equity often shares ownership with senior leadership, with senior folks on the management team. And so shared ownership is an extension of that and takes ownership beyond senior management to include all employees and the private equity firms that we're working with have made a commitment to do that within at least three of their portfolio companies over a two to three year period. And the firms that have joined include KKR, Advent, Aries, TPG, Apollo, Leonard Green, Goldman Sachs, their asset management group, um, Sterling, Riverside Company, Warburg Pincus. So there's a number of, of private equity firms that have joined. You can see the full list on our website, ownershipworks.org. Great. Gloria, do you want to add to that? Um, I think, you know, as I said before, this is Annalise's question, but what I will say is that early on, I was able to meet Annalisa when the 
uh, organization was launching, and I've just followed it, you know, right from its its inception. And I'm just thrilled to see all the partners that have joined on, and um, you know, it's it's just a it's a great story. So I'm I'm excited to see what other work and the progress that Ownership Works will do in the future. Okay, great. Well, this second question I'm going to ask both of you to offer your perspective on it as well, and that is what impact is shared ownership having on financial inclusion and wealth creation for workers? Sure. So the, you know, for most workers, it's very difficult to save for a rainy day or for retirement from wages alone. Um, many of us are familiar with the statistics that, you know, 40% of Americans don't have, you know, $400 saved for an emergency expense. And so shared ownership provides an opportunity to participate in the wealth creation opportunity that equity provides. And so in the private equity context, which is where the nonprofit has started, we um, are working with businesses that are family owned and public companies as well, but the majority of our work at this stage is with private equity portfolio companies. And so when the firm buys the company and implements the broad-based ownership program, there's no buy-in for the employees that are not part of the management equity plan. So this is a free and incremental benefit um, that's a complement to wages and benefits. There's the opportunity as the investment grows in value over time for the initial grant of equity to grow in value. Um, often there's dividends along the way um, so that there's a, you know, a, a chance to have some liquidity before the ultimate exit comes along. And then when the company is sold, all of the employees participate in the upside that's created. We ask the firms that we're working with to size the grants so that they're worth at least six to 12 months of salary for full-time employees at the exit. And so that's, if you hit your base case, that's the target. Obviously, if you do better, then it can be worth significantly more. Um, and in the case of one of our founding partners, KKR, um, they saw this play out with an investment that they made in CHI overhead doors, which turned out to be one of their most successful investments since the early 90s, with a 10 times return for um, for the firm, and the average payout to workers, frontline workers, hourly workers, and truck drivers was $175,000, which for most of these workers is a completely unprecedented sum to receive at one in, at one time. Um, so there's some real significant opportunity here to build up a nest egg. And um, to date, from the programs that have been put in place, it's been over $300 million shared with workers. Um, about half of that has gone to workers of color, and about $120 million has gone to low and moderate income workers. So we're just at the very beginning of this journey. Um, there's been 80 programs put in place um, at 80 companies reaching over 100,000 employees. That 300 million in wealth share that I just shared was just from a handful, three companies that had exits and two that have played out dividends. So as the remaining companies approach exit, we're going to see that number or that amount of wealth shared with workers start to significantly increase. And we've set a goal of creating at least $20 billion of wealth for workers through these programs by 2030. Okay, so Gloria, I can certainly understand why you brought Annalisa and this firm to the program. Uh, tell us what your perspective is on what they're doing. 
Well, as I said before, I, I think just having a front row seat, in, in a sense, right, having a, 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 a view of the work that Ownership Works is doing, I think, you know, I'll just say personally, I, I have seen people who might not be uh, in a leadership capacity struggle with creating some generational wealth or just even financially being able to to send their children to college. So I think this to me is, it's personally important, but also just to see some of the work that the clients that I've worked with over the years sign on to. It's an affirmation of the work that I have kind of dedicated my career to, and that is to be able to supply and embed really great talent so that impact and sustainability is a major factor. Great. Well, thank you very much for, for starting uh, this part of the discussion, Gloria, and you really are tapping into what we what we were going to focus on as the next question for both of you, and that is really the business case for shared ownership. Our followers, many of them are investors in their own right um, and financial advisors, and so they know what having investable capital is about. Annalisa, give us your share with us your perspective on this business case and what you're seeing happen with the companies that are already engaged. Um, thanks for that, Paul. So when we first started building partnerships with the private equity firms that have joined, and as we have conversations with companies that are interested in implementing these programs, we lead with this being the right thing to do. We lead with the fact that there's tremendous need for additional access to financial opportunity to build up savings and some financial security for workers and their families. But at the same time, we would be you know, missing out on one of the big benefits of employee ownership if we didn't talk about the fact that this can be really great for business and can help um, build stronger investments. And that's really because the same logic that applies to extending equity participation to the management team extends the entire workforce. When you align the interests of employees and investors, you can drive better outcomes as a business because now the employees have additional reason to really care about the business's success as a whole. They have a reason to care about how a team might be performing other than their team, um, how another location might be performing, whereas you might have locations maybe competing or you know not seeing themselves as part of one business all moving in the same direction. Um, but this can create an alignment where another team, another location's success contributes to the success of the entire organization. Um, so some of the specific benefits on the business side that we see from employee ownership are an increase in employee engagement, decreases in turnover, um, and then, you know, an increased willingness and um, motivation to contribute to improving the business. And so you can see employees suggesting ideas to make the business more efficient, to, um, you know, come up with a better way to do something, to, um, you know, help collect uh, receivables faster or to, you know, get the billing cycle going faster because they start to understand how all of these little things connect to the overall value of the company. So in the instance of CHI overhead doors, the company that I mentioned, you know, they saw improvements in employee engagement, decreases in turnover, they saw improvements in safety during the whole period, and then a series of operational improvements that were driven by, you know, workers' ideas. 
And so one of the, um, my favorite examples from CHI over at Doris was a truck driver who was paid by the mile and knew that the delivery route was inefficient and that the company was losing money, but it really wasn't in his financial interest to call that to anyone's attention. And then through the ownership program, realized, well, no, now actually this is going to hurt me and my colleagues too. Yeah, he's and got a stake in it now, right? <laughs> and so let not didn't only let management know that this was happening, but also proposed um, a better route as well. So those are the kinds of operational improvements that companies can see. Another firm that's done this is um, Ingersoll Rand. Their um, manufacturing firm with locations across the globe. I think they've been at least 30 companies, about 17,000 employees. Public company, all of the employees are owners. And they have seen really dramatic improvements in their um, quit rate and in employee engagement. And one of the initiatives that Ingersoll Rand did was to drive awareness across the company for how cash impacts the value of the business. So they did a networking capital drive where they did a train-the-trainer model where 10 people train 10 people train 10 people so that the entire company would understand what they could do in their respective roles to help the company collect cash faster and spend, class, spend cash more slowly. Um, and that contributed to, um, contributed to the financial performance of the company tremendously. So there's um, a number of examples of, of these kinds of improvements that you can see through shared ownership. And oftentimes when you do a break-even analysis and you look at the cost of sharing the additional equity um, within the entire workforce, it often requires only a really marginal improvement in EBITDA beyond what you were already expecting. So oftentimes increasing EBITDA by 1% to 3% in excess of the growth you were already anticipating can pay for the program because when you compare that to you know what you'll get in result in return for a decrease in in a turnover, for example, a decrease in attrition, you can see how the cost can start to balance out over time with the program. So um, we believe, like, like I said, that this is the right thing to do and much needed for workers, but we're very excited about helping companies achieve these business results as well. And I should mention that these results don't come just from sharing ownership. So you can structure this program and announce it and let everyone at the, uh, at the organization know that they're now owners. That's not enough. You have to build a culture of ownership that includes educating employees on what the ownership program means, providing some more transparent information, sharing on how the company's performing, um, and that's a big part of what the nonprofit does when we work with investors and companies, not just help them structure the broad-based plan, but really then what does that multi-year journey look like where employees start to feel, think, and act like owners? That's the shift that has to happen to get those business benefits. Um, but we've seen that you know many leadership teams be successful at that effort, um, and, and that's what we're here to help others do. You know, Annalisa, you've mentioned um, a couple of um, dynamics within any company and also shared some data with us a few minutes ago about the impact that this kind of approach has on the gender and racial wealth gaps within a firm's employee base. Talk a little bit more about that. And Gloria, I know you're highly qualified to, to join this part of the conversation based on what you've been doing at uh, Acre. Uh, so uh, please 
Give us some some perspective on this. Yeah, I'll let Annalisa go first, but then, yeah, I definitely have a follow-up uh, uh, comment. Yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, we know that there are really substantial wealth gaps when it comes to the gap between Black and white families and Hispanic and white families, and then the persistent gender gap um, in terms of income and wealth. And um, so when you look at the typical company and the way that ownership is shared, as I mentioned, it's generally just a handful of members of the senior leadership team that receive equity. Other than tech companies, you know, which tend to go broader and some startups that might go broader, but a typical company, it's a state suite and maybe a handful of other senior managers. And when you look at the demographics of folks who tend to be in those positions, it's often men, it's often white men. And so you can see if, you know, by extending equity participation to the entire workforce, you're likely to pick up women and people of color who've been excluded from this wealth generating opportunity for a very long time. And I think, you know, people are generally aware of these wealth gaps. What isn't as commonly understood is how much equity stock ownership participates, contributes to that gap. Um, so it flip-flops with real estate, but you know, it's generally the biggest or the second largest contributor um, force of wealth in the country. And there's tremendous concentration in that wealth. And so, you know, by extending this opportunity to the entire workforce, you're making a pretty radical shift in who is able to participate in this really tremendous source of wealth in the country. Gloria? Thank you, Paul. And uh, thank you, Annalisa, for, uh, for your, uh, for your in insight. Um, I, I believe, just from my observations, that this level of addressing economic opportunity is, in fact, the true spirit of financial inclusion and also links very well to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And, and the employee the employees that do benefit from shared ownership really do have a clear path to economic success and financial wealth creation. I'd like to share a little bit more about corporate equities. And um, so as I mentioned, it's currently the second largest source of wealth in America. And the value of corporate equities has exploded since 1989, growing from $2 trillion then to $37 trillion in 2023. The top 1% owns just 50%, owns over 50% of this wealth, and the top 10% owns 90% of it. On the other hand, the bottom 50% of households owns just 0.6% of all corporate equities. This is actually less than in 1989 when the group owned 1.3%. So the bottom half of all households is losing ground when it comes to ownership of corporate equities. And the disparity is also present and staggering when it comes to racial lines. The white households own about 90% of all corporate equities, while Black Latino households own less than 2% combined. So there really is a lot of room for improvement when it comes to creating opportunities to participate in corporate equities ownership. And you know, we see broad-based employee ownership as a really meaningful way to, to move the needle. Okay, so then how does shared ownership structure and implement uh, broad-based equity plans? Sure. So um, when it comes to broad-based employee ownership, you know, people might be familiar with ESOPs and employee stock ownership plans that are highly regulated plans by ERISA. Um, and then there's also a worker cooperative model. 
What we're doing is broad-based participation in either pooled of phantom equity or broad-based grants of restricted stock units. And so we're not in that highly structured world of the ESOP. We're in a more flexible model. And that's because it's a lot easier for um, companies, particularly private equity-owned companies, to implement these models. And so um, what we do is we support companies and investors on sizing the plans. And so taking a look at, you know, what is it going to take to get to that target of six to 12 months of salary for full-time employees? What eligibility criteria um, might the company want to put in place? Sometimes the company will want to say, you know, you have to be at the company for six months or a year before you're eligible to participate in the broad-based program. Um, sometimes the payout will be scaled based on tenure. So you're kind of shooting for an average of six to 12 months, but for employees that have been with the company for, you know, five years or more might get a little bit more than companies, than newer joiners. So we can help with the, the sizing with the structuring. Again, it's typically either um, individual grants of restricted stock units or a participation in a pool of equity. We have model plan documents that Kirkland and Ellis has helped us develop to really accelerate implementation for our partners so they're not starting from scratch trying to figure out how to structure and um, document the plan. Okay, and, go ahead. Oh, no, and then, you know, after the um, board has approved the plan itself, that's where that culture of ownership journey begins. And what we recommend is that companies do some baseline data collection to inform goal setting so that, you know, we recommend doing an employee engagement survey before the launch. We have 10 questions that we've developed on ownership culture um, that we ask partners to add to their engagement survey, you know, to take a look at attrition, safety, whatever the key metrics are that the company wants to drive through the program, get that baseline before you launch. Then there's the launch of the program, which is, you know, a celebratory event, let employees know. Um, and then we recommend that the journey starts by providing ownership training, having quarterly owners meetings. And so we have tools and templates and um, a team of um, business engagement um, managers that will work with our partners and their portfolio companies to help them build that culture of ownership side. And then the final piece of the program is investing in employee financial well-being during the hold period. And so, you know, when these programs go well, as I mentioned in the case of CHI Overhead Doors, receiving $175,000 in one chunk is pretty unprecedented for, you know, the average person. And so we recommend that companies bring in financial education and coaching partners in the investment period so that employees have chance to build up their personal financial acumen and build a relationship with a financial coach so that when the exit comes along, they have some support for planning for how they're going to use those funds. And then we also work with companies who want to set up an emergency hardship fund, emergency savings programs, emergency loan programs to facilitate workers having access to um, financial services during the whole period. So those are the, the three pillars that we help with drug transizing, ownership culture, and financial wellness. Okay, well, now Gloria, do you have any other data sets that, that you know are helpful to evaluate how the impact of shared ownership programs um, unfolds uh, with employees and the well-being and the corporate performance of the company? How, how is all of that stuff work in your world? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, it's great that we had 
Annalisa on today because I think, you know, while this data is it's so critical and I I'm actually thrilled. This is the first time I'm hearing some of this data, but I think really the highlight is ownership works and the work that Annalisa is doing. I will say that, you know, as I I actually would love to flip a question to Annalisa uh, real real quick, and and that is, you know, as as you're bringing on partners, uh, whether they're investors or your know, pension funds or in, investment firms, how is the conversation received, if you will, and, and are and if if there is a a firm that is already in a portfolio, is there an opportunity to I guess provide ownership? in the middle of a, a transaction? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. You, you know, the work has been really, really well received, which has been so encouraging. I think we initially anticipated launching with maybe five or seven private equity firms as the initial cohort of partners. And we launched with 19 private equity firms. And so we were really excited by that. And I think that people saw that this is a really meaningful strategy to help um, address some social issues, particularly around financial security for families. And I think that people also saw the business case. And, you know, it really helped our founders, Pete Stavros, co-head of global private equity at KKR. Pete had been implementing these programs in KKR's portfolio for about a decade before launching the nonprofit. And so we had those case studies to be able to share with firms to illustrate that this isn't just social impact, this is also good business as well. Um, so the reception has been good. Of course, there's questions and skepticism and, you know, is it really going to work? Are workers going to appreciate it? Um, you know, don't workers just want an increase in wages? Will they really understand the ownership program? And to that, we say, well, absolutely increase wages when you can and implement the ownership program because like I said, this is about helping people build up a nest egg. And that's really hard to do just from maybe like a dollar increase in wages, which is still critical and companies should do it. But this is a fundamentally, you know, about creating a different um, trajectory to build up some financial security. Um, in terms of implementation, so it can be ideal to implement the program upon acquisition because that gives sort of the most runway for that value creation journey fueled by an ownership culture, um, but you can absolutely implement it mid-investment period. KKR has done that a number of times, and we're starting to see that with some of our um, other partners as well. And it really just depends on the um, appetite of the management team. We tell investors that the number one success factor for these programs is the enthusiasm and commitment of the CEO. And so if you've got that CEO that's excited and a supportive management team and the economic workout, we don't see any reason not to implement this um, during the whole period. Great. Listen, I really appreciate the time that you've both taken today to speak with us. And there certainly is a lot of capital out there uh, under the control of private equity and venture capital firms that should be deployed in this type of program across our entire economy. And that's my perspective on it. So Annalisa and Gloria, where online can our listeners learn more about Ownership Works and Acre? And how can followers of the Sustainable Finance Podcast contact both of you with questions about the topics that we've discussed in today's episode? 
Sure. So you can find us online at www.ownershipworks.org. You can visit us um, on LinkedIn. We've got um, an active LinkedIn page. And you can email us at info at ownershipworks.org. Gloria? Thank you. Anyone can find uh, find me or Acre at www.acre.com. We're excited. Thank you so much, Annalisa, for joining us today and for bringing to light all the work that Ownership Works is doing. We're super excited about it. And thank you, Paul. Sure. My pleasure. And thank you both, Annalisa and Gloria. And for our listeners, if you're ready to take your team to the next level, or if you're an experienced sustainability professional, visit the Acre website to get in touch. With the right individuals leading the way in your company, sustainability becomes more than a buzzword. Let Acre enable real change by embedding and developing purpose-driven people in your teams. And to our followers, join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, and this is the Sustainable Finance Podcast.